you for that. Um, I'm, I, you actually took us in that direction. I was going to ask that question of the students that are currently in the program. What is it like for them to ask for help as Black students um, in white spaces? And then I also wanted to ask three doctors on the panel. I know that um, part of your goal was to work in, in academia, but you know, I know that being black and being in academia is is very frustrating at times, to say the least. And you're mostly isolated because you may be one or one of two in a department, right? And there's sometimes very little support. There's very little support you know, when you're working on your tenure. And um, I actually have been a little lucky at my school. But... Um, so I wanted to ask what that's like. So I'm going to come back to the doctors, but I'll start with the students. So if you can just talk a little bit, and I'm going to talk. Start this time with how 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 wealthy? Yeah, yeah. How wealthy? Thank <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> you've got it right every time. Um, so what, what? Sorry, could you remind me the question? Yes. About so asking for help? Is that what? Yes. It is? Yes. Yeah. What is it like asking for help in white spaces and in academia, where you actually have to prove that you're smart enough to be there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Asking for help. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, Dr. McLean kind of hit it on the head um, when she's ta when she talked about like suspicion. Um, I think because of like the disillusion my first year, by the way, I think it's important for me to mention that my, my first year here, this, the first semester, I, um, I had a similar, like just triggering racist, you know, whatever event happening every single time I went to this particular class. Mm -hmm. Um, and because of that, I had just like an onslaught of panic attacks and just you know, dysphoria. And so I actually left for a year. And I think that's probably important for whoever is listening. Like you could do that. Like you can take care of yourself and leave right. um, and then come back later if you, if you want to, but anyway, right. um, asking for help. Um, so because of those like experiences, yeah, I have a lot of lack of trust as a whole. Um, I'm, I'm definitely learning how to get it back. And mainly because I understand like this is for myself, you know, like you could ask for help about just like the technical stuff. And then for the non-technical stuff, find that community for yourself and ask for help there. Like, so I guess for me asking for help, yeah, it's like, you just have to find that person that you trust. And, um, I luckily have a really fantastic advisor who is open with me about her experience in graduate school. And so I feel a little bit more compelled to be like, oh, okay, we can be human here and, and talk about, these questions, even though these questions sound dumb to me. Um, so like that become, has become easier. And then I tend to talk to like other, um, member, uh, other uh, cohort members who are with other advisors and ask them like, Hey, what, what's the best way to talk to your advisor so that like, I can go in feeling somewhat prepared to talk to them and not have like these expectations of what, like, you know, what sort of help they can give me. But yeah, asking for help is really hard, but it's, it's like, it's something that you need if you, if you want to move forward, because, um, unfortunately they're, they're not there to hold your hand and go step by step with you. There, there might be some members, uh, um, faculty members like that, but most are, you know, they also have their own work. 
So you just have to know that like a part of this is learning how to kind of be your own uh, employer of sorts um, and having tasks like just go ask this person and it's not personal, just do it to get by, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And connected to that is also finding um, support for yourself for your mental health, if not anything else. Yeah. Right? yeah. So, thank you for that. Julian? Yeah. Um, I come from a, a long line of, of really talented mentors. I think um, mentors are the thing that like have kept me going. And it's like a, a large reason of why like mentorship is so important to me in the work that I do. Um, with that said, I'm a learner that like really thrives in community. I, I thrive from verbal processing and being able to bounce questions off of folks. So that like open communication when I need help is very important for me. I've also never been like the, the, the textbook perfect student either. I, I very likely have ADHD. I've, I've been meaning to contact the psychiatrist about this actually, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I've never been like a, a mainstream student. So asking for help has, has been one of the few ways that I've been able to, you know, get along um, and having that self-awareness. Uh, when I got to graduate school, I gravitated towards um, folks who I thought and I expected to, to, to have my back. Um, I, my first two advisors, I was co-advised and there were two black men. And I was like, you know, I've had, I've had a couple black male mentors. They've all shown up for me in the way that they needed to. And unfortunately, like, that was not a good situation for me to be in. I actually had to leave my lab in, my, in the middle of my second year. Yeah, everyone was like, whoa, yeah, as a PhD student, that's a very stressful thing to do. And I, the, the really, like, the core reason why I did that is because I didn't feel like I could, I could go to them for help, whether it was for my emotional, social well-being, whether it was for my academic progress. Um, one of them was, like, a trial-by-fire kind of person who feels like, you know, I went through it, so you're going to go through it, too, and, you know, you got to figure it out. And then one of them was just, like, really lackadaisical. Um, but either way, like, I didn't really feel like I could really lean on them when I needed them to. And as a PhD student, you're supposed to be independent, but you can't get a PhD alone. It's not possible. Um, you need that really strong sense of community. Now I'm in a completely different lab and my, my PI is really great with asking for help. Um, the other thing is like with other students, right? Depending on, on, on the environment that you're in. So Georgia Tech is a, a highly competitive place, kind of like you know, Johns Hopkins, MIT, those kinds of schools, like the sense of, they, they have a sense of community when you're collaborating, when you're sharing things with each other. But the, I, I, I have felt like the second that you like really need someone and you can't do anything for them in return, I haven't always felt that same sense of help even amongst black students there, right? Because you're, you're, you are technically in competition with each other to some extent. And so just like, I think isolating and finding out those people who will have your back, the people who are not going to act like you're in competition with them in a negative way, you know, the competition should be uplifting all of you, not for tearing anybody down for sure, um, or like withholding resources. So as simple as like, if you have a study guide for something like sharing it out to everybody rather than just like having it amongst your couple friends. It's things that I was noticing was happening and I was being excluded from having those resources, which affected, you know, some of my, my the social aspects of, of school. But in terms of mental health and things like that, I try my best to cultivate a strong community because that's important to me. 
I was doing like black movie nights with other PhD uh, students in my program um, and other types of social events in my apartment. Um, I, I, I hosted a party for Black History Month where we all came together. It was a potluck. We brought food from our different cultures and things like that. Um, so asking, asking for help or cultivating an environment where asking for help is okay is also like building strong community too. Well, thank you for that. That's a good idea, you know, um, have cultivating community, good point. And also understanding the competitiveness of the PhD program, sometimes with your, your cohort members, but also sometimes with people who are supposed to be your advisors where they'll say, well, I had to work hard or I have to learn by fire, so therefore you should as well which is um, not usually the best way for people to learn. Um, so understanding that that all exists and those are all things that you have to navigate along the way as well, very important. But what I heard from you guys so far that I'm hearing you say is that many of you weren't like necessarily a student from hitting the ground. You know, you had to grow into yourself. You had to be confident about who you are and you had to, have these goals and work towards these goals. And there are challenges all along the path, right? Uh, very important, very important. Yes. So Pauline? Um, so definitely, I, you know, as I mentioned before, the first year of my PhD program, I felt like I was drowning. <laughs> I barely remember that phase. And I think that kind of my mind blocked it. So it's really interesting, Julian, that you shared that because what happened was that that's, I always knew I had a DHC. Like my mom always, you know, but we, because we were like from a very poor area of Brazil, I was never diagnosed because that cost a lot of money. And of course, you know, there are a lot, a lot of educators in my family who had pointed out to my mom that that was the case. So she always kept me really busy, right? And school always kept me really busy. That's why I was doing a lot of things. So, in having a really terrible relationship with my GA ship supervisor at the time, which I love her, but we didn't really have a good relationship because, you know, we had all sorts of communication issues. She was the one who was like, you know what? I don't mean to be that person who's going to kindly suggest that you um, reach out, you know, to mental health services, but I am going to be that person who does that. So I reached out to them and of course I, I was tested. It was like a really long process. And of course I had, I joke around because they, they looked at the test results. They were like, yeah, you have a 92. If I got a 70 on this test, you were diagnosed already. So I mean, you really aced it. So you really are a very typical case of ADHD. Um, that's exactly why you're not able to perform in some situations and, um, so we, you know, and that was a really difficult moment for me because it's like, yeah, sure, but I've always been a star, you know, with ADHD. Now I have a diet, you know, now I have a paper that says that. Great. So that being said, um, I think that having documentation and you know access to healthcare sort of served as okay. If someone was to call me out, I had the paperwork to go ahead and be like, okay, so you know I actually have a condition. Here it is. You know I'm not just doing this because I want to do it. I'm not just you know I'm not not concentrating on this task. It's not a choice. It's just you know a mental health condition that I have. Yeah, that was great and all. 
But um, the, the help that I really, you know, reached out to and I was very successful at getting was from community, right? Um, senior um, Black students, other folks of color on campus, those folks really helped me out because on the top of everything, my family's not around me. You know, I have a friend who's like a brother to me, but who's in Florida. So really navigate. That was really community. Like my friends who, you know, who I would, you know, I, I, I used to joke around that I used to escape Connecticut and go to New York every weekend. Um, and that's where I kind of found, you know, more community. And then, of course, man, like getting mentorship from other um, students in the program who I was very skeptical. I was very skeptical because I was like, they're kind of they kind of like sound the white people that are here but then I understood okay that's they do sound like white people who are here for a reason right it's because they have been trained that way and and if we don't sort of like sound like the white people here we might not be able to get a say so you know in in code switching and those things so it's really peers like peer mentorship and then I met other faculty and then you know um, I met Dr. Bryce, who's like a really big black person on campus, and but initially it was for my peers, for sure. Thank you, thank you. So I'm going to move over to the doctors now. Again, um, the journey is very hard, and you get to academia, your dream job. <laughs> is it that dream job that you expect that you expected? Um, I know at times it can be isolating, you can have very little support, and you have the pressure of tenure, and oftentimes you might be the only one in your department, right, Um, or one of two, and usually that second person is also very competitive and here, you know, in, in some ways. So tell us what that's like, not really to deter the, the students that are currently, um, on the panel or in our audience, but, but let's talk real stuff. What is it really like? (laughs) Okay. Um, I'm going to start with Dr. McNear and followed by Dr. Canty and Dr. Patterson. Yes. I, you know, tell people who are interested in, um, pursuing the ivory tower and it has earned its name well. Um, because there are very few of us um, within the institution of academia. Many times you are either the first or the second, maybe within a department, depending on the size of the university. WestCon is a, is the s- smallest probably of the state universities. And, and Dan Baring originally was like a teacher's college, so teaching is the focus. Um, although they expect research and scholarship, they really push the um, teaching and like uh, the community service. So as such being one of very few, you know, people have expectations. You, you know, I'm in social work. So um, one of the aha moments is that people are in social work are racist too. (laughs) Social work as a profession is racist too. Aha. So that's an aha moment. So you, you end up sometimes experiencing the same microaggressions that you thought you've escaped from because now, you know, you are an academic, you are starting your track as um, an assistant professor. And, you know, you think that comes with some privilege, which it does in the context of students because of the student teacher relationship, but you have the same fights. You um, have the same, I belong here. So either you're battling with the imposter syndrome, do I belong here? Or yes, I belong here and constantly having to prove yourself. 
be engaged about the Black experience. Um, and this is one of the most important things that I've gathered from this whole experience as we're not only experiencing COVID, but the, the social movement about Black lives and how Black lives matter, is that everybody who is Black is not an expert on being Black or the Black experience. You have your own unique experiences that you've experienced, but you are not the one to be speaking on the general experience of Black, you know, black people or Black Americans, but people expect that from you. So they're asking you things that you cannot possibly answer. Just the, the fight for um, promotion and tenure. Uh, I, I've been fortunate, and I think I've been fortunate because I have seen the adversities of my colleagues in front of me. So I um, work with a colleague now who has become very close. I've I just been very lucky in, in, in these, within these circumstances to have people who kind of reach out and say, look, you're coming in, you're the second black person, you need to have a research agenda, you need to be active in X, Y, and Z, you need to be active in the university events because they're going to rate you on all of that. So no matter, you might have been a, an expert 30 years in the field, when you go in academia, you are starting from scratch, just like you're going into your undergraduate education and you have to prove yourself. So each, just to give you a, a quick snapshot, each year you have to, to be evaluated in terms of your worthiness to stay as a faculty member, because when you are not tenured, you're on a tenure track. So each year you have to be evaluated to be determined as whether or not you are entitled to stay on the tenure track. So that's where they look at all of your accomplishments. You have to keep every flyer, every workshop you've attended, conferences. So there's a lot of pressure to be scholarly. But sometimes I think it, it, it's, it, it's, it's about this uh, notion of worthiness as opposed to I'm doing this because this is what I'm passionate about and this is what I love. You're being rated, literally being rated, sometimes by people you don't even know. So then you have people critiquing you about what you need to do better. And then when you get to the tenure process, which I'm about to approach, that's a committee of people who know nothing about you. So they're looking at sometimes some very objective criteria and people have their own slant. And, you know, as a black person, people have a different lens. It, you know, there's an expectation you have to do more. So, okay, let me run 30 workshops this year. Let me go to 16 conferences. These cost money. So unless you are funded through the university, through some resources, you know, going to the Council of Social Work Education, I'm just going to call it out, CSWE conference is going to cost you $2,000 on average to go. <laughs> and you have other responsibilities, but you're like, but I'm going to be in the game. I want to hang. So there's all of these pressures that um, are expected of you. And unfortunately, this is from the research when it comes to uh, people of color and particularly black people and seeking tenure and promotion, there, um, there's higher rates of people being denied that, those opportunities. So that is always a challenge. I, I, I'd be lying to you to say, I haven't met people who have gone up two and three different times. So it's just um, understanding that you're gonna be faced with these challenges and you are always gonna be measured in terms of your worth, which to them equates to your scholarship, meaning how much um, are you participating in research? Are you publishing articles? Are you participating in the university committees? Are you working with students? So they look at all of these uh, criteria to determine whether or not you are worthy of being there. And if you're not granted a tenor, tenure, um, and, and a lot of universities, you get kicked out. And it's very clear when you are employed, they make it very, in some universities, very explicit. If you don't, um, if you're not granted tenure, 
you will be asked to leave. So there's always that pressure. Yeah. It doesn't stop when you get to academia, but we don't want to frighten you. <laughs> no. <laughs> I <think> they're real. <laughs> Dr. King. Completing my PhD, now I am on the road to tenure. I was able to get two years of credit, you know, which, which definitely helps. And I was told that that doesn't always happen, so I'm grateful for that. But I, um, I've been thinking, since you asked this question, I was like, okay, what am I going to say where I can't get fired? So I'm going <laughs> to, I just, only thing I'm going to do is just be true to my experience. And, and I know, again, I can only speak on nursing. I have been a nurse since 1991. So I can speak on my experience with that. And we know racism exists in our society. And now with the current events, it's like everything that I've known for years is finally being out there. And um, I feel like, and I even want to back up to even being in, working on my PhD. And, you know, you talk about microaggressions and everyone has mentioned that. But it's different, you know, if, you, if you're at a party and somebody says something, you, I'm like, I can handle her, just give me a minute. But when it's someone who is responsible for your academic success, that changes things. And it's like you have to be still careful in how you approach it. And what I've learned in over the years, you know, while um, working for my master's degree, just always looking and trying to understand racism, because it's like you mind your business, you're doing, like you said, Dr. McLean, you're working hard, you're doing all these things, you're doing twice as much as everyone else in your department. But it's still like you walk into these spaces where the racism is so embedded you know, we talk about implicit bias. It's so there that people don't recognize it. And it's a hard space to be in. And when I was working in the hospital, it was there. Thinking switching over to, you know, a clinic setting. I thought it wasn't going to be there. It's there. And then now in academia, it's still there. And the thing is, like, it's something that we know, but we don't want to talk about. We know something is wrong. And we don't know how to address that. And what I've learned over the past um I would say since I've been starting to work on my PhD is that I'm learning again to find my voice. And, you know, like when you, you learn, um, you know, you're in high school, somebody says something, you're ready to fight. But now you're like, I'll go to jail and I'll do some time because the this legal system is not in my favor. So how do I, how do I handle these issues? And I've learned the best way is to just keep educating myself and, you know, like these policies about tenure you got to do A, B, C, and D, and this is how you're going to make it. But then when you come, they want to change all the rules and say, well, you did this a little bit, but you didn't do nothing here. So I'm like, wait a minute. All these things I contributed over the last 10 years, you're going to just erase? I'm like, no. So I learned how to strategically put it where this is what I've done. No matter what you say, you're not going to erase my history. You're not going to do that. You know, I work just as hard as anyone else, and it's like a continuous fight. And even when you think you won that battle, then the next day there's another battle. You're starting all over again. So one thing I've learned, and I learned this from a colleague of mine, she was like, you have to look at things and you have to figure out how you're going to handle and address it. Because you're the one with the hypertension. You're the one who can't sleep at night. They go home, they have fun with their kids. They go to sleep, they sleep like a baby. They start all over again. So I had to learn how do I take care of myself, like myself is first. And one thing I do have to say, and, um, and I'll, I'll move on, but I felt like I had to identify who I am as a black woman and learn to accept who I am. And I realized I'm not going to look like how that typical person with their PhD looks, 
but I'm still present. I can still contribute. I'm still going to keep contributing and I'm still going to be effective in my career. And I think that my mindset now is that I'm going to stay true to myself. I'm going to teach my students. I'm going to do my research and I'm not going to let anyone dictate that for me. No one else from this point on is going to tell me what I need to do to be a black professor to be, to exist in this world. I know from my own experience what I need to do and no one else can tell me what I can and cannot do from this point on. And sometimes I have to take this stance and I know it's going to sound crazy that I'm going to act like I have nothing to lose. So like I had trouble at the end of my dissertation where I, I don't want to get into exactly who, but there were people involved who were trying to add unnecessary things to make challenges for me. So I was like, this woman, I said, I've been here for six years. I know what I'm doing. I understand my research. Nobody's going to come in and tell me that this is wrong or I need to. One person even said to me, well, you can't say that about black women until you talk to white women and see how they feel about it. I was like, there was a day where I was said, okay. I said, no. I said, I know this research. You're not going to tell me what these women said. This is what they told me. And I'm staying true to them. I went back to them. They told me this. And this is what I'm going with. Because at that point, I was like, I'm not anymore. I was like, <laughs> I was like, I have nothing to lose. If I go down, I'm not going down without saying what I needed to say. And from this point on, that's my thing is like, I'm going to do what's right. If I'm doing the wrong thing, then I'll take a responsibility for that. But if I'm working twice as hard, four times as hard as anybody else in this department, you're going to respect me and you're going to give me my tenure when my time comes. It's like with everything that's been happening in the media. And again, it's like, you know, these things It's like how, you know, Dr. Patterson and Dr. McLean were talking, you know, is this racism? You always have to question yourself, but we know it's there. And so now I'm just at that point where I'm not letting things like that stop me. Not anymore. If I'm doing right, just give me my credit that's deserved and don't try to bring me down. Try to lift me up because I feel like for all of us, and again, I think I'm getting a little sidetracked because I'm so passionate about this, but I feel like we try to create these spaces where it's difficult for some. And it's one thing if you're not doing what you're supposed to do, you're not working hard, then I don't mind you giving me a hard time. But when you know where my passion lies, where you know I work because I want students to be safe nurses, I want them to recognize their implicit bias and provide safe care, you know where my heart is. So with knowing that and you still want to try to give me challenges for no reason, then we're going to have a problem because I'm, not, I'm just at a point in my life where I can't accept that anymore. So I'm sorry I got a little sidetracked. <laughs> okay. That's quite all right. All these it's so good. Dr. Patterson? Much like the experiences of the people that I spoke before me, it's very similar um, in terms of, uh, you know, what they call black tax. they fond of, you know, very fond of um, setting all kinds of challenges and not, not even a marathon, but a triathlon where they want to test your skills as well. And so, you know, I've been on that journey for a long time. So after the master's program, I kind of figured it out and said, yeah, it's going to be everywhere I go. So I just got to be ready for it. And in, in a way, it was good and bad for me because I have a tendency to internalize it. And when I internalize it, I work harder. And I keep working harder, and sometimes I lose myself in working hard. I don't take care of myself the way that I should. For instance, you know, I've showed, I would show up at my job every weekend, 
And so I was outworking everybody because I didn't want to be in the same space with everyone because of all of the, the, um, the toxicity that was in the environment. And I just felt I needed to be by myself and be prepared so that no one, I dot my I's and cross my T's so that no one would um, be able to, to contend with me or to, you know, to, to say that I did something wrong. And so after a time, that really wore me down. And I had to come up with different ways and strategies of doing things. And the, the thing that I, I have found in getting older as I'm pushing 50 now is that I realized that I was always on a journey of becoming who I truly was. And I say that in relation when I look back at, at even a topic that I chose for my dissertation it was a topic about Jamaican women and who are Jamaican women's and looking at and looking at um Jamaican women in terms of health disparities but I wanted to know about who I was so I what I begin to realize as I'm getting older I'm the best at being me when I'm really embracing who I am which means that if I embrace who I am in an environment that doesn't like me, then I have to do the mental work so that I can remain who I am, wear those lopsided skirts that I wear and don't give a damn, right? <laughs> when I walk, walk, walk up in the environment, I also had to decide um, what lines did, you know, what, where were my boundaries? What would I give up and what wouldn't I give up, right? But what would be that last straw for me? And so I think people have to reflect on that. What will you do or what won't you do, you know, from the very beginning? And then another thing that I realized is that I had to learn how to cope with, with it in ways that I was taught to cope with it, right? So I had to go deep into um, who I was as a Jamaican woman to find strategies for myself in coping with it. So for an example, when that same professor that I discussed, um, that I talked about, also gave my sister a hard time when she was going through her dissertation. And our strategy in cussing him out was to create a cultural competence presentation and invite him to it, right? And so you find different ways of doing things to really make it known that you're you're not who they say you are and embracing yourself at the same time. But I've, I'm not naive anymore. I know that it is everywhere that I go and I have to find the balance in deciding what strategy I'm going to use on what day in order to move forward and what will I give up and what won't I give up. Yeah, thank you so much. Wow. So this has been wonderful listening to you all. I want to just ask you for some last words for students who are thinking of being becoming a, a PhD uh, candidate or taking the towards a PhD, or those who are thinking of going into academia and taking that path. So what are some words of wisdom or last words you'd like to share? I am going to just call on you. So Dr. Kanti, followed by Havolti and Julian and Pauline, Dr. McLean and Dr. Patterson. So I would just say just to do it. Um, don't let anyone stop you. Don't let someone say you can't write. Don't let anyone make your research feel like it's not important. And you just have to be true to yourself and follow your passion. 
And sometimes it doesn't always come. Again, when I started, I didn't think about maternal mortality. I was looking at osteoporosis and then cervical cancer. And when I finally decided on looking at maternal mortality, it was like, I was like, this is it. You know, I really felt like that, that flower that blossomed and that found what I was really there was searching for. So it takes time. And no matter how hard it gets, you got to keep it moving. You know, find the right support, take care of yourself and just keep it moving. But don't let anybody stop you. Thank you. Um, yeah, I just kind of want to echo that. Do it. <laughs> like, go for it. That it, This is something that you want to do. And it's something that is going to enrich you. Um, however, you know, it ends. But to just do it, to know that you are completely capable and you will have, ish, you know, imposter syndrome. You will have these uh, uh, this new... Um, microaggressions that you've never really encountered before, but to just keep doing it. And most importantly, find people that affirm you. And that's definitely can still be students who are in your same, you know, level. They may may also be first years, but that should be your priority is because they are the ones who are going to speak on Um, the problems that you're also having. And honestly, when I hear other people talk about, you know, the distress that they're going through, I feel a sort of comfort that, okay, now we can both work this out. Like now, you know, we know what's happening. So let's find people. That's yeah. And that you're not alone. You're not alone at all. And what you're going through, someone else definitely has like, everything that we talked about today, I was like, yep, heard this. I've heard this. Yes. Yes. Um, and, and if anything, it's more fueling than, you know, it's, it's more healing than it is like, Oh my gosh, you know, someone else it's, it's more like it's out in the open. It's not the secret, you know, thing that we're all going through. Right. Thank you. Julian. Yeah. I think people should just keep in mind to remember who they are and where they came from. Um, I think we, you know, as black people, as people of color, come from a, a long line of creators and innovators and, and some of the most forward-thinking people that have ever existed. Um, if you think about so many of the great things that this world appreciates and loves and steals, it's, it's originating with us, with our people. Um, and we never needed, you know, a piece of paper or a tower to tell us how to create and how to be great. Um, and I and I have to remind myself of that often because it often feels like we need the department or we need these set of people around us. And in reality, like we are the talent, we are bringing great ideas and new thoughts, um, and and that's really what makes the university thrive. Um, those those generators, those creators, and and we are those people, even if we're at the lowest level, we're just starting our PhDs. Um, and just remember what you're entitled to: getting your education. Um, even if you're not paying for it yourself, you know, even if, even if your PI is paying for it, um, it's still your education. It's no one else's education. Um, and so as the people around you, our educators are there to service you. Um, and remember that, you know, that that's a fact. They're there to service you and you can demand certain things. You can ask for certain things if you don't want to be that erosive. But um, yeah, just remember what you're entitled to. Thank you. And form community, right, uh, Dr. McLean? Uh, yes. Um, I mean, if it's if it's something you, you you have a passion for it, something that you you're um, you know driven to do, um, ask a lot of questions. Definitely 
pursue it. Uh, I, I do tell people that, you know, if you're juggling a lot of balls and this is something you really want to do, think about what your end goal is, because that will maybe help you decide if you're deciding between multiple, if I, do I want to do this? Do I want to do that? I've had people come to me who want self-fulfillment and this can be self-fulfilling, but it's stressful. So if it's just doing this just to hang a shingle, there's other things you can do. I agree that we sh should populate um, PhD land, but you got to think about what your end goal is, and that will help you decide which way you want to go. And in terms of the actual dissertation, the best one is a done one. So you may have this big dream. I want to, you know, solve the world problem and world hunger. Take one aspect, a smidgen of that to do the dissertation or find a topic that, you know, you can get it done and get yes. it done. That's it's part of research. You have the rest of your life to do your life's work. Just get one done so you can get in. Very, very good. Thank you for that, Pauline. <laughs> Amen. Okay, so um, just, you know, straight to the point, be skeptical of everyone who you think that, you know, mean well, like not, I mean, folks, there will be a lot of folks who mean well, who will approach you to give you feedback that you don't believe that apply to you. So every time you encounter someone who mean well, or whatever they say to you feels hurtful, go find a second, third, fifth opinion. Okay. Because, um, you are entitled to that. If it's hurting, there's a problem there for real. Like don't really just, you know, take um, the word of folks who mean well, because oftentimes that could really damage you. Thank you. Thank you for that. Dr. Patterson. My advice is that you win when you're the best version of yourself. Don't be afraid if the patois slips out of your mouth. It is your mouth. It is your patois. Speak it. Well, thank, uh, thank you very much. You guys did a wonderful job. I'm sure it's going to be helpful to those coming after you. So thank you for your contributions and all the best for those of you who are in the process and all the best for those of you who are moving towards tenure, right? Um, <laughs> thank you and take care of yourselves. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>